0: Father, as you well know, we are living in very difficult times here in the United States of America. Times maybe not so different from those times in which Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these church or these fathers, uh, patriarchs lived, Lord, and and we can learn a lot from how you dealt in their lives during these difficult times. Today we're going to see Isaac and this famine, and Lord, uh, we don't have a famine for food in the United States of America, but there certainly is a famine in this land for the word of God. And Lord, we can learn how we can react in, in these difficult times by looking at this text. And Lord, most of all, we can see how you react in these difficult times and how you uh, treat your children, your, how you deal with your children even in the times of of a famine, Lord. And so there's really a great lesson for us here, a very practical lesson, a very spiritual lesson. And I just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you teach us that lesson today. And and, uh, we just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, it's in his precious name that I pray, amen. Calvin Coolidge, who was the 30th president of the United States, was often called silent cow. And the reason he was called silent cow because he never had much to say. Now, he would have a hard time living today in this world of Twitter warfare uh, that we see uh, in our government today. But but he made it just fine. He was kind of a laid-back man uh, and he went about his business quietly. Uh, They say he slept 11 hours every day uh and, and yeah, how about that and uh so uh he had a pretty uneventful presidency uh, upon hearing of his death in nineteen thirty three uh, American poet Dorothy Parker simply asked the question, "How can you tell you got so he was pretty laid back now, some people see Isaac is uh sort of like. Calvin Coolidge uh, as a laid-back, quiet man who, who lived pretty much an uneventful life. And when you compare him uh, to his father Abraham or to his son uh, Jacob, it may seem that way. I mean, you look at Abraham. Here was Abraham. I mean, he was a pioneer. I mean, he was a, a warrior who subdued kings. Uh, he ate, died with God Almighty I mean, he sat down and dined with the Lord. And so, man, he lived a really exciting life. Then you take old Jacob. Jacob was a wheeler-dealer. I mean, he was something else. Uh, I mean, he met God at at Bethel, and uh, he wrestled with God at Peniel. Uh, Jacob had all sorts of adversaries, and and, uh, the way he deals with these adversaries, uh, very deceitfully. I mean, it's it's uh really you know he lived a really interesting life, but Isaac you know don't sell him short uh he lived a pretty exciting life too I mean, if you think about it, Isaac, just think about his birth that his birth was a miracle I mean when he was born, his mother was ninety years old, and his dad was a hundred and so so uh you know not many people can say that about their life and and uh when you when you As he was growing up, uh, Ishmael was harassing him and he had that uh, problem to deal with. And then when he was 30 years old, his father took him up on Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice. Now, that's some pretty scary stuff there. And then you look at the story of his marriage to Rebecca, and it's one of those romantic stories for the ages. And so, so I think he lived a pretty exciting life. And today we're going to see Isaac in the midst of a famine. And we're going to see uh, how uh, God's going to deal with him uh, in that part of his life. So go with me to Genesis chapter 26, and let's begin now in, in verse number 1. Genesis 26, verse number 1. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So Moses distinguishes this famine from the one that happened to Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. So where's the famine? It's in the land. What land is the famine in? It's in the promised land. So here's uh, Isaac living at Beer Laharoi in the promised land, and there's this great famine. Now, think about that. The promised land is the land of milk and honey. But yet in the promised land, there's this famine. Now, there's a lesson there for us who are believers. You can be living right smack dab in the perfect will of God, and famines can come into your life. Why does God send famines into our life? To test us, to build our faith. And that's exactly what he's going to do here with Isaac. Now, when you look at this story, a lot of the names, a lot of the places, and a lot of the events are very similar. In fact, they're almost exactly the same. So a lot of people believe that, you know, here's another case that shows that the Bible just is a bunch of le- legends. And, and uh, two people wrote about this legend, and one used Abraham, and one used Isaac. Well, that's not the case. And Moses makes that clear right here in verse number 1. He says that this famine is a different famine from the one that took place in the day of Abraham. But the names are similar, are the same. Abimelech, for example, you see here uh, in the first part of this chapter. Abimelech, uh, we saw in chapters 20 and 21, he was the king when Abraham made this same venture down to Gerard, to the same place. Well, it's not the same person the word Abimelech is a not a proper name, it's a title. It means my father is king. And so because his father was king, he became king. And the next, the next king would have been called Abimelech too. The, the leader of his armies, we'll see later on, is Fickle. Fickle is the same name that we saw in chapter 21. So, so the names are the same, but the event is different. Uh, this is happening to Isaac, but the, but, but the circumstances are very similar. And and what Isaac does is very similar to what his father does. You know what people are pretty much the same, and especially children are very much like their fathers, like father like son, and that's what we're going to see in this case right here. So uh, anyway, uh, here's this. There's this famine in the land, and uh, Isaac does the same thing his father does. He says, you know, I'm going to get out of here. I'm, I'm not. He wasn't trusting the Lord. And he's and he's thinking in his mind. I'm going to go down to Egypt. They got plenty of food down in Egypt. So I'm going to go down to Egypt, just like Abraham did. And uh, but and and so here he is at Beer Laharoy, and Beer Laharoy means the well of the living God who sees. And the living God sees what he's about to do. And so the Lord uh, is, it comes to him, and the Lord's going to tell him. Do not go down to Egypt, but instead go down to the land where I'm going to tell you to the land of the Philistines. Now, the land of the Philistines is still in the promised land. It's still in Canaan. So he won't be leaving the promised land. And that's God did not want him to leave the promised land. And and so he goes down to to Gerar. And and the, the king there is Abimelech. And his father had made this treaty with Abraham. And they were sort of friends. I actually think. His father was saved. Uh, he knew the Lord. And so he knew all about Isaac. He knew all about the, his miraculous birth. And so Isaac comes down there, and I think Abimelech lets him settle in right below his palace. I mean, he gives him some of the finest land in Gerar. And so Isaac's going to settle in. Now, read verse, let's pick up in verse number three. And so the Lord says, Dwell in the land that I will. And I will be with you and bless you for you and not, uh, you're not going to starve. You're, you're, I have great plans for you, good plans for you, not plans of evil, plans to prosper you. You're not going to starve. And so he renews the covenant that he gave to Abraham. He renews it for Isaac. And he says, for to you and your descendants, I will give All these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. The same promise he made to Abraham. And I will give to your descendants all these lands. And now comes the greatest promise of all, the messianic promise. Listen to what he says. And in your seed, in your seed is going to come forth one who is going to bless all. All the nations, and he's speaking there of none other than Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. It's not because you're a great man, Isaac. That's not why I'm going to do this. The reason he's going to do this is because he's faithful to his promises. And he's he's Abraham was a man of faith and he's going to honor that. Listen to what he says in the last part of, of, of this section here. He says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statute and my laws. Now, that's that's really interesting to me, because as Paul tells us over in Galatians uh, chapter number three, he tells us that the law came four hundred and thirty years after Abraham uh, became a man of faith. So Abraham didn't have any law. So how could Abraham keep the law if there wasn't any law? It says here he keeps his commandments. He kept my statutes and he kept my laws. Well, there's a very important reason for that. And listen very carefully to this. It is not law that produces righteousness it is faith that produces righteousness Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness he believed God and he received the spirit of God and the law was written on his heart and because it was written on his heart it produced righteousness in his life You can never be righteous by keeping the law. The law will not make you righteous. Flip with me for a minute. And and there's so many people that tell me I'm still under the Ten Commandments or I'm still under the law. Well, you're in trouble if you are because because you're not going to keep the law. Listen to what Paul says over in the book of Galatians. Flip with me over to Galatians chapter number 2 towards the end of the New Testament. About the middle of the New Testament towards the end of the Bible and find the book of Galatians and go to chapter 2 and look down at verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. What does Paul mean by justified? He means to be made righteous. You can't be made righteous by the works of the law. You can't be made righteous by your religion By your religious activities, by your own moral goodness, you can't be made righteous that way. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith that produces righteousness. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Jesus and not by the works of the law. Now watch this. For, and get this down, if you don't have it already down in your heart. For by the works of the law, no flesh, no person will be justified. You will never be made righteous. You will never live righteously by the works of the law. To be justified is to be made righteous on a positional plane. If you've been born again, you've been made perfectly righteous by God. But it's also on a practical plane. Once you've been made righteous by God uh, and, and you receive the spirit of God, then you begin to live righteously. And so, so you can't be made righteous for the law because all the law can do is show you what is righteous. All it does is really show you that you're not righteous, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is faith that changes us and produces Righteousness. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, he says that Christ is the end of the law, not the end of the law for, and that the law ends the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe those who believe are made righteous by faith, by the spirit of God, by faith in God and by the spirit of God. And, and so so we don't need the law. Uh, to have if we have real faith. The law is not for you if you have real faith. Listen to what Paul says about the law over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And You don't have to turn there, but let me read this. The law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. He's talking about rebels there, which all of us are. He says the law is not meant for us, for, for rebels. If, you, if, you're, if you're still a rebel, there's something wrong. But we were rebels before we were saved. It's not, the law, he says, the law is not meant for the righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for rebels, for for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, and for the profane. That's who the law is for. So if you say you're under the law, let me tell you who you are. You're profane and you're unholy. Because I'm not under the law, Christ, Christ is the end of the law for me, I've been made perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. And that righteousness that he gives me is not only on a positional plane, because he gives me his spirit, it's on a practical plane too. He makes me live righteously by faith. And, and so it's our, if our faith is alive, it is going to produce righteousness. Righteousness. If your faith is not producing righteousness in your life, your faith is dead. Now, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and they're living unrighteously. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have real faith if that's the way you're living, because your real faith produces real righteousness. And so if, you don't, if you're not living righteously, then your faith is dead, and faith, faith without works is dead. And your faith should be producing righteous, righteousness. So here is Isaac. And, and, and what the Lord is saying to Isaac, your father Abraham believed in me. And because he believed in me, he kept my commandments. He kept my statute and he kept my law. He didn't even have the law. But he kept it because he believed in me. And the law was written on his heart. And he lived on a practical plane of righteousness. And now, Isaac, because you have followed your father and you believe in me, and, and what your father has done, he's set a course for, for himself and a course for you and a course for your descendants to live righteously by faith, not by the law. And because he's done that, you're going to live, you're going to keep my commandments and my statutes and my laws. And because you're going to do that, because you're going to do that, get this down all church you hear this because you're going to do that I am going to bless you through this famine now it almost sounds like God will bless us if we work and that's true if we live righteously God will bless us but we live righteously through faith not through the works of the law we live righteously because we are the children of God and we've the law of God has been written on our hearts and the spirit of God is in our hearts. And because we live righteously, the Lord is going to bless us. And if you're living a life here and if you're a call yourself a Christian and you're living a life that's not blessed. There's a problem there. Now, I'm not saying you've got the biggest house or the biggest, nicest car or the are the best children or any of those kind of things. But if you're. Living a life that's not blessed spiritually, that you can't get through the storms of this life, that you can't face the storms of this life, is because you're not living righteously. And the reason you're not living righteously is because your faith is not real. Your faith has not changed you. You really haven't put your faith in the Lord. There's a lot of people that never they know about Jesus. They know all the facts about Jesus. They accept the fact that he died for their sins, but they're still struggling under the law. They're still trying to keep the law. Now, I struggle under the law to some degree because the law law is a tutor that brings me to Christ. I mean, the law keeps telling me, you don't live up to the standard. The only way you're going to live up to the standard is through Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. And that's what the law does. But the law can't make me righteous. And, and if it, and if, but when I'm made righteous and I begin to live righteous, then I get victory in the times of famine. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Isaac as we go back to this text. So go back with me to Genesis chapter 26. And let's look at verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. He obeyed the Lord, he didn't go down to Egypt, and he stayed in the promised land. He left Beer Laharoi, and he went down to Gerar, which was in the land of the Philistines, but it's still in the promised land. And the man of the place, watch this, this, doesn't this sound familiar? Those of you who have studied with us and, and have been through chapter 20 and 21, watch what happens. And the man of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. Now, when Abraham said that, he used the same line to try to protect himself. When he said that, he really wasn't, he was only telling a half lie. Because Sarah was Abraham's half sister. But, uh, but but, but uh, Isaac, Rebecca is Isaac's cousin, but she's not his sister. So he's just downright lying here to, to save his hide. And he's going to throw her under the bus. He's, so he says, she is my sister, for she was afraid, for he was afraid to say, she is my wife because he thought to himself, hey, l- these men are going to kill me uh, to get to Rebecca because Rebecca is beautiful to behold. And so he's he's reasoning with himself and saying, hey, man, I've got to protect myself. I've got to tell everybody she's my sister, that we're not married. And if you want to take her, basically what he's saying, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Uh, pretty, it it's, but it's the same exact same thing his father did now. It came to pass when he had been there a long time about, uh, I'm sorry, a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window. Now, here's Abimelech. He's up on the hill. His palaces, uh, the palaces were always on the hill and, and Isaac's living below down in the valley. And he looks out his window and here is, is uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And look what happens. He says, now, it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw and there was Isaac showing endearment. I like what the King James says, making sport uh, to Rebekah. He was making out with his wife. He was kissing her like you wouldn't kiss your sister. And Abimelech sees that. Uh, so so Abimelech calls him out on it and, and calls him to the palace to confront him about it. And And then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. You've been lying to me. So how could you say to us, she is my sister? I mean, what, what if one of my men, or what if I had taken your wife? I mean, she's single. If she's your sister, she doesn't have a husband. She's single. What if one of our people had taken her as, our, as their wife? Then God would have put a curse on us just like he did my father Abimelech when Abraham did this very thing. And so, so uh, he, he says, well, I mean, how could you do this? Uh, Isaac said, Uh, to him because I said lest I die on a counter in other words I was a chicken I mean I didn't want to die I figured somebody was going to kill me to get to my if I told her she was my wife they would kill me so they could take my wife and and I I I was I was a big chicken and Abimelech said what is this you have done us Uh, one of our people might soon have laid lain with your wife And you would have brought guilt on us. And you would have brought a curse on us. Just like your father uh, decades before had brought a curse on us. The same thing would have happened. So Abimelech charged all his people. Verse number 11 saying. He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now you think at this point he would have just kicked Isaac out of the land. But he allowed, uh, allowed Isaac to live right there down there in that valley and something strange happens here they're in the middle of a famine and why was there a famine because there was this great drought and so it wasn't raining anywhere and then all of a sudden Isaac is going to start acting as if he's not in a famine and the rain's going to come to his little part of the valley and he's going to prosper greatly look look what happens next then Isaac sowed in the land now that took faith that would be like going out into the uh, Sahara Desert and saying, "I'm going to sow seeds and I'm going to trust God to 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 bring rain and and uh, water these seeds that I've planted and grow my crops." That took a lot of faith. You got it? So he, he's showing some faith here. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year. Look at this! In the midst of this famine, he reaps a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him I mean that that is amazing now that's a principle that we see over and over again in the old testament and the new testament what you sow is what you reap and sometimes even much more than what you sow you reap much more than what you sow and that's the case here and and that principle will carry on that's a spiritual principle as well as as a physical principle if by faith you trust the Lord. I don't know what situation you're in, but if you're in a situation where it doesn't seem like God's blessed you and, and you're in some sort of drought in your life, some sort of famine in your life, then you've got to take some steps. You've got to show that you have faith, that you trust the Lord, and you've got to, you've got to plant some seeds, and you've got to trust the Lord to water those seeds. You can't just sit back and expect God to just pick you up and take you into prosperity. He's not going to do that. But if, you will, if you're a child of God living by faith and you're, you're living righteously by faith, then God wants to bless you. And I don't care what's going on around you in this world. God can bless you if you'll just take those steps, if you'll just step out like Isaac did. All he did was something very simple. He planted. He said, you know what? It, we're in a famine. We're not getting any rain. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to plant seeds and I'm going to trust the Lord that he's going to water those seeds and he because of his faith and 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 he made had this great witness for the Lord the Lord blessed him and it rained and he produced crops a hundredfold then in verse number 13 the man began the man Isaac began to prosper and he con- and God continued prospering him until continued prospering until he became very prosperous now here is Isaac He's already a very wealthy man. He inherited most, most of the, the riches from his father Abraham. And so, so he's doing really well. And now he's even prospering more. God's multiplying his flocks and multiplying his possessions. And, and uh, uh, he continued prospering until he became very prosperous, even more prosperous than Abraham was. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Now, there's a problem. There's a problem with that because here is God blessing his child right in the midst of all of these pagan Philistines. And they're not being blessed. And so the Philistines envied him. They were jealous of him. Now what should they have done? They should have looked at Isaac's life and said, wow, here's a man who has faith in Jehovah God. And look what God is doing for him. You know what? I ought to put my faith in Jehovah God. I mean, I see so many Christians, and I'm not talking so much about material prosperity, but I'm talking about Christians who have families that are solid, that have marriages that are solid, that have lives that are solid. And you look around at this culture, and it's falling apart around us, and the only people holding together are people of real faith. They're the only people that are held together. They're the only people that are being picked up out of the, out of the gutter. People like me. They're the, the, and, 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 and people ought to look at that and say, man, I need the Lord too. And I'm going to give my life to the Lord. But you know what? They don't do that most of the time. You know what they do? They get mad. They get jealous of you. They get jealous of the fact that you're living righteously. And so what they do, they just trash the righteousness and they say, look at those holy rollers, you know, that living, you know, they don't do this. They don't do that. They don't do this. And they, they're just judgmental people. That's not who we are. We're blessed people. We're blessed people because God has blessed us because we're living for the Lord in a relationship of faith. And, and so don't worry about that. I don't think Isaac worried about that. So anyway, where'd we leave off here? Yeah, verse number 15. Now, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. Now, if you remember the story back in 20 and 21, Abraham made the same journey. And while he was down there, he was digging wells. And he it was an amazing thing, part of that prosperity that God gives to his children. It's not name it and claim it. It's just being in, in the will of God doing what God tells you, living by faith, living righteously, and then watch God put water in your wells. Now, what do you think would happen when a man of God left those wells? They would dry up. And so the wells dried up. And when they dried up, the Philistines came and said, well, these wells are no good. And so they they filled them with with dirt so that nobody would fall into the well. And so the wells were all filled up. And Abimelech said said to Isaac, go away from us. Go away from us. We don't like you. We, we, you know, you're making us look bad. You're looking really good and we're looking really bad. So just get out of our sight. Uh, it, for you are much mightier than we are. Now, he certainly saw him as a, as a threat uh, because of his prosperity. I mean, here's Isaac, who's all his servants are multiplying, all his cattle are multiplying. Uh, he's got a lot of wealth. Uh, he, he could maybe, maybe if he wanted to, make a move to take over his kingdom. And so he just says, you're a threat to me. Get out of here. And then Isaac departed from there. And he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, just outside the city of Gerar. And he dwelt there. And Isaac dug, verse number 18, and Isaac dug a well again. The, uh, uh, d- and Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of a a running river under the ground. They found a, a, a running water there. But the herdsmen, what happens then? See, they're, they're right outside of Gerar. They hear that, I mean, they've struck water. In, the, in that culture, I said this when we were in chapter 21, in that culture, striking water was much greater than striking oil today. I mean, when they dug and they hit water, they had something. And the word gets out that, that Isaac has, has found water. And so they say, hey, that's our land. That's not your land. So the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac, which means to quarrel. Uh, you know, Isaac was strong enough at this point. He could have fought and he could have taken that. Well, And he's kind of a passive person, so he doesn't make 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 war with him. And he just lets them have it. Uh, and because they quarreled with him and then he left. And then in verse number 21, then they dug another well. And they quarreled over that one also. So he called that name of that well, and that's getting worse now. He calls that name Sitna, which means enemy. See, the Philistines now were becoming his enemies. They, did, they wanted him dead. I mean, here he was. I mean, he was, he was being prospered by God, and they weren't prospering. And, uh, you know, so they wanted what he had, the water that he had found, and they wanted him out of there. And, and again, instead of fighting them, he moves on again. Verse number t- uh, 22. And he moved from there and he dug another well. And they didn't quarrel over this well. He moved a little further out and uh, they didn't quarrel. So he called it uh, Rehoboth, which means space or spacious. I mean, he finally has some space between him and the Philistines. uh, Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. But Isaac thinks about this. He says, these Philistines are right over here, right where we had just left. And probably when we strike water here and those wells dry up, they're going to come looking for us again. And so he decides not to stay at rid of and look at verse number 21. Then he went up from there to Bathsheba. Now he's made a full circle. He's back in the promised land, uh, back in the part of the promised land that's not controlled by the Philistines. He's back to the old homestead, the place where he had lived with Abraham. Uh, in the early years of his life the place where he lived when he met rebecca at bir laharoy that's when he ended up at Beer laharoy but he met rebecca while he was living there in beersheba and so uh, he settles down in beersheba and once he's settled down and he's back in the promised land what happens and you can't tell me he's got a boring life i mean can you imagine Here he is. He's doing all of this work. He's he's, he's not really fleeing from the Philistines, but he's he's not provoking them. He doesn't want a war. And uh, he's, he's moved away from them. And what happens? He's back in Beersheba. And look at verse number 24. And the Lord appeared to him that same night he was back in Beersheba and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. Watch this. In the midst of this great famine, in the midst of this great drought, I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So I'm going to bless you for Abraham's sake, but really because you have the faith of Abraham. So he built an altar there and he called called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now, Abimelech hears about this well. He hears he's back in Beersheba. And he knew what his father had, his father had made a covenant with Abraham to keep Abraham from coming back and taking that land. It was really, he had homesteaded and he had dug those wells and he had the right to take it back. Because it was just an abandoned land that, that Abimelech had given to him. And Abimelech knew that he was powerful enough to come take that land back. So he went and made a treaty with Abraham. So his son is going to do the same thing with Isaac. So he built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. and He pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Geror with Ahuzah, one of his friends, and Fickle, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you have, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? I mean, you don't like me. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you want with me now? You've sent me away, out of your, away from your palace, away from your land. I, I've dug these wells. These wells have been taken away from me. And now you want to be my friend? And, and, and he suspects that there's something up. But he's going he's gonna to be a nice guy to him. But they said, we have certainly seen, watch this, the Lord is with you. Now, remember what Abraham was told in chapter 12, verse number 3. He was told, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Now, if you're Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of the army, and you see this guy who no matter where he goes, he strikes water. No matter where he goes, it rains and his crops multiply and his livestock multiplies and you're suffering through a famine. You got to figure the Lord is on this guy's side. I mean, even a pagan would figure that out. And if he's on his side, then I don't want to mess with him. And so he said, we've certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath. Now we are afraid of the Lord and he might do something to us. And and the Lord is with you. Let's make an oath between us, between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Uh, Since we've been nice to you, since we have not touched you, and since we have... Done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now, watch this, you are now the blessed of the Lord. And we don't want to mess with you. People really don't want to mess with men and women of God. There's a warning in the Bible about touching God's anointed. If they had come against Isaac, they would have been toast, I can tell you right now. And if Isaac didn't make this treaty, he could have come against... Could have come against them and, the, and and if the Lord was with him he would have destroyed them. And they see this and they realize now Isaac you are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and he drank. Then he arose early in the morning and, and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass that same day that Isaac... Servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. I mean, right while he's, he's making this oath, he gets even more good news. These guys got to be saying, man, you really are blessed by the Lord. You found more water. So he called the place Sheba, which means oath. Uh, therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba, the same thing his father had called it. Beer is well, well of the oath, well of the oath, and uh, it's that, it bears that same Name Today, you can still go to Israel, go to the southern tip of Israel, and there's the little beautiful little city of Beersheba, the city that Abraham built. Isaac comes back and rebuilt, and that's where he lives. So here's Isaac. You talk about. You talk about a man who's blessed of God. You talk about a man who's leading an exciting life. Man, don't sell him short. The Lord shows up, man, and and uh, the Lord tells him, I'm going to be with you no matter where you go or what you do. And not only does he know that, his enemies know that. That's a good place to be. When people see the Lord in you, and, and, and uh, it's not only a great witness, it's a great defense. People just don't want to. At least in that culture, they didn't want to mess with the people of the Lord. And so uh, here's Isaac. Things are going really, really well. He's getting up in the years at this point. And he realizes that one day he's going to have to turn this inheritance over to one of his sons. And at this point, he thinks it's Esau. But we know from a little story we saw earlier that Esau had sold his birthright to Jacob. And he had profaned his birthright in doing so. Well, now he's going to do something uh, that even just makes it worse. Verse number 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives wives Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basmoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief in the mind to Isaac and to Rebekah. Now, I think what Esau did, he thought, you know what, I'm going to really please my parents. I'm going to give them some grandchildren. But he took pagan wives, people who had no knowledge of the Lord Jehovah, and he took those wives, and instead of those wives being a blessing to Isaac and Rebekah, they became a curse to Isaac and Rebekah, especially to Rebekah. And that's going to make Rebekah much more determined in her effort to get that inheritance uh, given to To Jacob. And we'll see that when we come to chapter number 27 uh, next week. All right. As we finish up here. So here's what I want you to see. Here is Isaac, this man of God, in the midst of a terrible famine caused by a severe drought. And he has a personal encounter with the Lord. I tell you what, that's the best thing that can happen to you when you're in, in trouble. To have a personal encounter with the Lord. And because he has this encounter, he obeys the Lord. And he finds the waters to sustain his livestock. Uh, and to, to multiply his crops. Uh, he finds peace with his enemies. And uh, through all of this. I have no doubt that his faith has an increased and just as Abimelech said, he has become the blessed, blessed of the Lord. I mean, you can't help but see that. Now the question that I want to pose, you, pose to you today as we close here. Can God do that for you in the famines of life? In the, and, and you're going to face famines. We're all going to face Famines. At some point in our life. Times when we're deprived of something we really need. Something we really want. There are always going to be those famines that are going to come into our life. Can God bless us during those times? You better believe. He can bless us during those times. If we're living in an obedient relationship with him by faith. He's going to take care of us. in. The time of our greatest need. I look at our country today. And I hate to dwell on this every week, but it's getting worse and worse every week. And there is a famine in the land of the United States of America today. A great famine. The greatest famine this country has ever seen. Worse than the Great Depression. Worse than the recession of 2008. There is a famine in the land. Now the grocery store shelves, they're full right now. But there is a famine in the land. It's the same famine, type of famine, that took place in Israel right before they were virtually destroyed by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. The same type of famine. Listen to what Amos says in chapter 8 verse 1. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now watch this, that I will send a famine on the land. I will send that famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And that is exactly what's happening in our society today. Not because of the lack of Bibles. There are plenty of Bibles in the United States of America. In fact, more Bibles are being printed today than ever have been printed in the history of this country. So there's plenty of Bibles. The Word's there. But the Word comes to those who hear. If you don't want to hear, you're not going to hear the Word of God. You can have a Bible on your your coffee table and leave it there and you'll never hear the Word of God. Some people... A lot of people refuse to read the word of God and then some people read it and then they reject what it says. They want to change what it says. And because of that, there's a great famine for the word of God in this land. And what God has done in turn, he's given us over to our lust and our society, whether you can see it or not, it is imploding right before our very eyes. This society is crumbling. Right before our very eyes. I mean, you just look at what's happening in our government. You look at the crisis in our government today. It's crumbling before our very eyes. The crime on the streets, I mean, the gross immorality in this country. Our society is imploding as we speak. It's terrible. It's chaotic. It's on the verge of collapse. I came to bring you good news today. But there is good news. Let me go on with the bad news first. I'm giving you the bad news. You can count on it. You remember I said this. You can count on it. A spiritual famine is Almost always, if not always, followed by a material famine. This spiritual famine is going to lead to some ter- a terrible famine in this land. There's already a terrible famine. Could, because a, a, a spiritual famine is worse than any material famine. But at some point, the spiritual famine is followed by the judgment of God. And we're right on the verge of that happening. And If this country doesn't turn around soon, we're going to see some sort of severe famine in this land. And I, 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 I suggest you begin to prepare for it. If you have debts, you need to get out of debt. You need to save some money. And I don't even know if the money will be worth it. And again, I'm not trying to scare you here because I'm going to get to the good news here in just a second. But we need to be prepared for this because it's coming. I mean, I, I keep hoping for a revival and that things are going to turn around, but people don't want Revival. And. And when this famine comes. Here's the strange thing. Listen to what it says. Amos says in verse 11 of chapter 8. He says the Lord says I will send the famine on the land. I will send the famine on the land. And, and, And that tells me that God's got a purpose in the famines of life. I mean, the first purpose we think of right away is judgment, judging those evil, heathen pagans. That's why God's going to send a famine on the land. That might be a secondary purpose, but you know what the primary purpose of a famine in the land is to get the attention of the people of faith. This famine for the word of God should drive us to the word of God. That's what it should do. And if, if soon we don't see revival in this country, if it should drive us to pray for revival. If we don't see this soon, we're going to see something worse maybe than even the Great Depression here in the United States of America. Or some war, war, world war worse than World War II could be on the horizon. So God sends these famines to test our faith. And why does he test our faith? So that he can build our faith. So that he can get us to seriously, get serious about our relationship with him. So that we can encounter him. So that we will dig wells like Isaac dug wells. He had no choice. There was a famine in the land. He had to trust the Lord. He had to do something. And he dug those wells. We have to be digging spiritual wells so that we find the living water of God. That's what's going to get us through this famine. And when we do that, we're going to encounter God. I mean, I don't know about you, but more than anything else, I long for a personal encounter with God. That's not just going to happen one day. I've got to be digging those wells. I've got to be seeking the Lord. And if we do that, we're going to to encounter God. And here's what God wants. You know, what did Isaac do in that drought? He sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. Well, if we're digging those wells and we're bringing up those water, water living waters into our soul and we're encountering God, then we're going to sow into the kingdom of God and we're going to reap a great harvest. And that's what God wants it, a hundredfold, baby. Maybe you reproduce yourself a hundred times for the kingdom of God. But that's why the famine's there. And that's why God, at some point, is going to get all of our attention. If you're a child of God, if, if things in this country do not have your attention right now, I feel really sorry for you because you are spiritually blind. We're in deep trouble. Deep trouble. But there's going to be some good come out of that. Hopefully, especially in the church. And listen to this, church, because the hard times are going to come. Whether it be whatever type famine comes our way. If you're seeking God seriously. By faith. You're going to. What's the Bible say? If you seek me. What's the Lord say? If you seek me. You're going to find me. You're going to find him. And, and, and you're going to be full of his spirit. And you're going to live. We're going to live righteously when we're full of his spirit. And if we're living righteous, righteously. God's going to take care of us. No matter how terrible the famine is. He's going to take care of his own. Let me read to you from Psalm chapter 37 verse 18. The Lord knows the days of his upright. He knows every single day. He knows everything that's going on in your life. Every single day. You know that his thoughts toward you. The Bible David tells us are as many as the Sand on the seashore. You ever gone to the seashore, just grabbed a handful of sand and try to count it? And, and, and watch it go through your hands and, and, and just millions of these little rocks. that You, you, you see it all together, but as it, as it falls there, you can't count it. And then you look at that seashore and you think of all the seashore. God's thoughts for you are more than all the sand on the seashore. The Lord knows the days of the upright. He knows what's going on in your life. And their inheritance will be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of the famine, they shall be satisfied. The word satisfied means stuffed. In the days of the famine, like you've been to a buffet, you don't want to eat anymore. It don't matter how bad things get, especially when things get bad. God knows how to take care of the elect. He knows how to fill you w- with the fullness of his blessings, both spiritually and materially. And when we're blessed like that in dark times, what happens to our life? It shines even brighter. And people are able to look at us and say about us the same thing that Abimelech said about Isaac. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Can people say that about you? They should be able to say that about you. You are now the blessed of the Lord. God blesses all his children who are living for him in obedience. Living righteously for the kingdom of God. Of God. No matter how bad things get, God blesses His children. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, the encouragement in your word. Lord, we do live in difficult times and, Lord, times that probably will get even more difficult as these years pass. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for revival. But, Lord, we pray most of all for the church that we will wake up. And look at how terrible things are in our society. And begin to pray, Lord, for you to move in our hearts in such a way. Move in our lives in such a way so that people see us. And they say about us, we are truly the blessed of the Lord. Father, we want to be blessed by you. We want to live righteously for you. We can only do that by the blood of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God that you've given us in our hearts. We just thank you for that. If there's anyone here today who doesn't seem feel blessed lord who isn't blessed because they're living for themselves lord they might have all the material possessions this world can offer and they're 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 living just for themselves lord i ask today that 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 you show them their need lord their need for a savior their need for someone to 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 fix the problem they have with sin and you're the only one who can do that it's by your blood and by your grace and by your spirit that we can live righteously, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen.